This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 653 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum, and I'm taking a break from Olympic curling to be your head number one this week. Italy just won uh, their first curling gold. Good for Italy. Huh? Proud of this. Hey, manja. I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, and when I'm not riling up fans on Twitter to demand, I get even more mic time on this show. Look. That was not me. That was not me. That was Michael Sevier. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I'm your head number two. I didn't pay him to say that. Sure. It's totally sure unprompted. In this episode, we'll be reviewing new comics from the first two weeks of February, and then we'll head up to the GHN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. Finally, we're going to give you a sneak peek at our Patreon Extra, where the comic pushers will be suggesting some highly addictive Doctor Strange reads for one loyal listener. It all starts right now with Review Time in the Ziggurat! You heard the man. It is review time, and we'll be taking a look at comics from the February 2nd oh. and the February 9th. <laughs> oh, I, I had a different censor in there from That's all right. the first two you know weeks what? of February, hey, the 2nd we're doing and it, the 9th. We're doing it live, baby. This is, how it, this, is, this is what they pay for. This week's pile is crawling with royal monkeys, Afro-futuristic dystopias, bearded despotic hulks, and the X-Men's secret team. Matt, you're our leadoff on this bobsled team, so let's get sliding. Let's start in hell with Sabretooth, number one from Marvel. Well... We'll, we'll talk about it. It's $4.99. Okay. It's written by Victor Lavelle with art by Leonard Kirk, and here is your solicit. Down in a hole! Sabretooth went into the pit, sentenced to an eternity of torment. Sure, that sounds like hell. But maybe that's where he feels most at home. What's he been doing down there? What secret deal has changed his fate forever? And what if he's not alone? Award-winning novelist Victor Lavelle teams up with amazing artist Leonard Kirk to bring us the story of what lies beneath Krakoa. Heading to this one, I wanted to know two things. Where is the pit? And is it in Krakoa's butt? Also, how in the hell is Sabretooth going to escape? So, three things, technically. Thanks to one of the now-famous X-Data pages, we learn that the pit might be Krakoa's butt. However, there, well, is, there is some evidence <laughs> it might be his brain, too. Krakoa doesn't have a butt. Krakoa. I mean, Krakoa can make a... Like, we have seen Krakoa make a body out of, like, trees and plants and shit. I'm not going to tell you this again. Krakoa does not traditionally have what we would call a butt. Anything that's alive has a butt, Joe Patrick. No, that's not true. That's no. absolutely true. The story turned out to be a deep dive into Victor Creed's mind, thanks to his hallucinations while in the pit, where it seems... Krakoa has been watching and feels that Victor may have been treated a little unfairly. Lavelle fights the urge to soften Sabretooth to make him more sympathetic and really leans into the irredeemable monster he's become with some help from Leonard Kirk's brutal visuals. Kirk is just stunning as usual, but he does a fantastic job of making the comic very violent without going full gore, which I would argue is even more difficult. Now, this comic has a parental advisory, but it's still a teen plus title or however the hell. I think they all say I think they pretty much all say parental advisory. Right. Like the X live slash deaths of Wolvie, there's a mystery as to what's going on here, but it seems a little more spelled out by the end of this first issue. I like what the team is setting up and the fact that they aren't writing yet another villain redemption story. I'm giving this one a buy it. I'm really curious to see where it goes. I do not think that Sabretooth is a much nicer person when all is said and done here. <laughs> oh, hell no. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, this is a buy it for me. I thought this was great. And it was do it was definitely unexpected. Like, yeah. uh, here's what I thought. I thought what we were going to get is Sabretooth gets out of the butt. Crawls out of Krakoa's butt. Yeah, Sabretooth, <laughs> Sabretooth crawls out of Krakoa's butt, and then he's on the loose and, you know, on a murder spree. And that's what we think is happening mm -hmm. 
for a second. It's clever too. It's, um, a, it's a cool device for Lavelle to to go there. Like, yeah, here's probably what you expected, but it's right. Not and I kind of don't want to. I don't really want to go into what's actually happening. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting what they're going for here. Yeah. I really liked it. It's saber tooth. Saber tooth is saber tooth. Like he is. Whether this is all happening in his mind or in somebody's butt or wherever, he's still the meanest some <laughs> bitch. He's still the meanest mutant some bitch on the planet. And uh, I thought this was great. I love Leonard Kirk. This is a buy it. I sincerely hope there was a quote on Sabretooth number two that says, whether this is in someone's mind or in someone's butt, Sabretooth's still the meanest <laughs> some bitch on the planet. Joe Patrick, two-headed nerd. <laughs> yeah, please. I, you, uh, Mar- uh, Marvel, this is my blanket permission to use that statement for all marketing material. There we go. Gotta love our healing factors. I'm gonna enjoy killing you for days. And then I think we'll drop the Hulk on an orphanage or something. Just for fun. From one furry to another, let's talk about Monkey Prince number one. (laughs) Oof. I asked for it, so. They are not not furry. (laughs) Look, there's nothing wrong with being a furry. These guys are not furries. It's from DC Comics. Don't listen to Matt. Matt is closed-minded. He's judgmental. In there. It smells. It's, it's written smell by. So look, bad in there. I, I bet you that some <laughs> of them are very hygienic. It's written by Gene Luen Yang, and it has art by Bernard Chang. It's got a three ninety-nine cover price, and here's your solicit. Introducing the newest hero in the DCU, the Great Sage, equal to the heavens, better than his predecessor, the legendary Monkey King, even better than the Justice League, and definitely the Teen Titans. Oh yeah, actually. All the heroes combined. Everyone put your hands together for dot, dot, dot. The monkey prince. Marcus' son moves around a lot because his adoptive parents are freelance hench people. (laughs) Uh, That was a spoiler, and I wish they didn't mention it in the solicit. Uh, So this month, he finds himself as the new kid at Gotham City High School. Apparently, there are schools in Gotham that are not Gotham Academy, which is good to know. Well, there's like a public school. Or, this is the public school. Sure, right. There are only two schools in Gotham yeah, for I the mean, millions of children. probably a there. few. Uh, where a mysterious man with pig features asks Marcus to walk through a water curtain to reveal himself as who Marcus really is. Someone who has adventured through the journey to the West, can transform into 72 different formations, can clone himself using his hairs, and is called dot, 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 the Monkey Prince. Uh, Jean Luen Yang brings his all-ages flair to an all-new character steeped in Chinese folklore. This is right in Yang's wheelhouse, and he excels at it. His script is light and fun, despite the fact that it's built around a teen boy who suffered a childhood trauma at the hands of Batman that's followed him his entire life. When Marcus starts to embrace his new identity, the book explodes with Miyazaki magic while keeping its feet firmly planted in the DC universe. The characters are written a little broadly, almost cartoonish at times with very little nuance, but I thought it worked pretty well for this superhero fairy tale. Like the fairy, that's what all fairy tales are, like broad, broadly painted characters. The art by Bernard Chang is excellent, slipping between superhero action and mythical folklore. Sebastian Chang's colors are pretty standard fare until Marcus steps beyond the water curtain where they switch to a gorgeous, almost painted style. And I kind of wish that's how the whole book had been colored. Yeah, I I think he did it on purpose, but, you know. Well, yeah, because it's this, you know, it's this kind of mythological fantasy world world. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Monkey Prince number one is an excellent introduction to a new teen hero that embraces Chinese heritage in a magical way. I'm giving this a buy it. Like, even if you don't like, look, I'm not Chinese. I don't know a ton about Chinese culture, but this is obviously a book done by two people that know it front and back. Oh, for sure. Like it's, they nail it. Look, this is no different than bringing Thor into comic books. The Monkey Prince is a real sure. thing that comes from Chinese mythology, and he's like this big, cocky, crazy, you know, hero. And this kid's not quite ready for it, and they do an excellent job smashing it into some poor kid that's going to high school and has to deal with Batman. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I, like I'll say this. You know, they, Gene Lin Yang also had a, a similar uh, task introducing a new uh, Chinese hero into the DCU, the Chinese Superman. Right. And it, and it was called like new Superman or whatever. And it, like, I just could not get into that character because the, like the super, the Superman connection was distracting. Yeah. This, I was like, Oh yeah. Boom. Nailed it. Right. I mean, and again, he's got an entire mythology that he can work with here. It's not trying to inject something into Superman's life or Batman's background or anything. This is its own thing. And it's 
completely fun. I don't know if I just really missed Bernard Chang because I hadn't read anything he's been him. doing recently I know. or if he hasn't been working recently, but goddamn, I forgot how good this guy is. Yeah. Book this book's a huge buy. The nature of monkey was irrepressible. I love to fight. From monkeys to aliens, let's talk about new masters. Number one from Image. It's $3.99. Written by Shobo, with art by Shoff. They sound like fun guys. Here's your solicit. Nigerian brothers Shobo and Shoff present New Masters, a groundbreaking blend of science fiction, adventure, drama, and vibrant Afrofuturism. In a striking vision of West Africa, under the thumb of alien colonizers, a motley crew of outcasts find themselves caught up in a power struggle for control of an ancient artifact with immense power! We say this a lot, but setting up a very high concept future world, even when it's Earth, can be very difficult to pull off in one issue. The easy way is a giant text crawl intro that lays it all out, Star Wars style. But this team does it the hard way, and their efforts pay off. Like Joe said in a recent episode, the secret is to show, not tell the reader. And that is exactly what Shobo and Shoff did here. The story opens with an action sequence that follows a young girl as she dives to scavenge obsidium, an energy source that's traded on the black market, and it's a great way to establish the poverty the general populace lives in while fleshing out the world with Shoko's incredible painted art. There's some future African-inspired dialogue, but it, it didn't come off as forced or bother me at all. It really lent even more authenticity to the story here. With a title like New Masters, I'd assume the aliens would be lording over the African populace, but everybody seems to be kind of vying for power and wealth on an earth that's been pillaged of almost all of its resources. By the end, the story builds to sort of a caper almost, gently introducing the players before formally introducing them on the last page. Reading New Masters number one, I felt like I stumbled across a, a new gem, similar to how I felt the first time I read Saga. Watch for this series to get huge, fast, if it continues to be this good and this good looking. The art was fantastic. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, okay. I, I liked it. I liked it. You, you are a lot more enthusiastic about it than I am. I'm and surprised. I'm I thought gonna, you would really like this. No, I did like it. I'm, I, I liked it. But I'll save the comparison I want to make until later in the show when uh, we talk about another book you're going to review. I thought that it moved very fast and introduced a lot of players and there was no clear through line that connected any of them, which was kind of a problem for a first issue, at least for me. I don't need to know everything about everybody. I felt like that last page kind of brought it all together. Where they the last page where it's just like and here's their names that's but that all that did was introduce four new characters but one of which was the father they were talking about the other one was the mother that we saw earlier the leader woman the other one was the con man that's going to try and rip people mm. off that's probably controlling the obsidian and all that stuff that they mentioned earlier in the story like we didn't see them pictured but they were all either mentioned or pictured. And then I'd have to, you know what? I'll have to look again because I'm not convinced that a couple of those connect characters are the same ones that you think they are. They definitely uh, but that, weren't all that, pictured until that last page. I'll give you oh, that. That's fair, but like this is just my uh, my initial reaction. Sure. I did like I did like it. I thought it was just a little busy. And you said something about a text crawl setting up the whole world. Um, it's true we didn't get that at the beginning. We did get it at the end. <laughs> Yeah, um, which I'm okay it, with. After the after the book, there is a text page where Shobo um, uh, talks about kind of the genesis of the idea and how they've been working on it for a decade, and it's all great. And I really like I really like the premise where it's like these aliens came and strip mined the world, and uh, as a result of what they did, like major economic centers of the world got like literally swallowed right they got like, like sunk into the ground swallowed new york city well, gone that London, was when they gone. i think that's when the ship crashed that happened because the ship well, but yeah it's like we're yeah well as a result yeah. of whatever happened this is like these, the opposite of city. district nine basically they crashed yeah, kind of but um, then they but were like we gotta a, get out of here let's mine this place to well, death. But, uh, <laughs> like, but as a result as a result of that 
all of these unexpected places on the African continent, like Morocco and, and, and all the other places they mentioned, grew into these huge techno cities, like bolstered up by alien technology. I thought it's such a cool idea. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I did really like it. It just it just was a little too much going on for me. I needed a little maybe pump the brakes a little bit, take a little bit more time to introduce every aspect. Otherwise, I thought it was great. I'm giving it a buy it. The art is beautiful. Yeah, really cool art. Well, we talked about alien futures, but now it's time to talk about alien pasts. It's Fantastic Four, Reckoning War Alpha number one. Once again, you do not need to say Alpha and then also number one. Stop it, you not, guys. <laughs> there's not going to be an Alpha number two. Right. There's, there, there won't be. And if there's an Omega, it won't be called Omega number two. Right. So quit it. And it won't be number three either. It's just the end. It'll just be Omega. Right. <laughs> okay. It'll, no, it'll probably be Omega number one because yeah. that's how they do. Yeah. Uh, it's from Marvel Comics. It's written by Dan Slott. It's got art by Carlos Pacheco and Carlos Magno. Carlos's. Yeah. Carlos's uh, Pacheco and Magno. <laughs> yes. uh, the price is $4.99. Here's your solicit. 15 years in the making and it all kicks off here. In a time before the Kree, Skrull, or Shi'ar empires, before the emergence of Galactus, before the birth of Asgard, there was the first war. The greatest war to ever rage across the multiverse. Today, it is reignited. This is the day of reckoning. And all that stands between all of reality and revenge from the dawn of time are the heroes of Earth, the Fantastic Four, and the mind of Mr. Fantastic. Starring the FF, She-Hulk, Jack of Hearts, the Unseen, the Silver Surfer, and everyone in the whole ding-damn Marvel Universe. Okay, who's the Unseen again? Nick Fury. Oh, that's what they're calling. That's right. Okay. He was called the, uh, he's been called the Unseen ever since Original Sin. Yeah. uh, Which I will touch on here in just one second. Uh, Once again, I find myself behind on slots Fantastic Four, but that's practically nothing compared to the decade and a half long buildup to this momentous event. The story opens with Nick Fury Sr. looking and sounding a hell of a lot more like himself than the last time I saw him, which I assume happened in the main book, and it is a very welcome development. Things kick into high gear almost immediately as we learn about the first war, its survivors, the Reckoning, and how they're seeding the universe with impossible weapons thought lost to time. Apparently, this is the quote-unquote one thing, aside from all the other things, that will make the Watchers break their vow of non-interference the one thing who are you kidding <laughs> so you know it's got to be bad now i will take a break here to address the fact that slot definitely needed to consult some kind of science advisor for the big cataclysmic event that occurs in this issue yeah uh but they didn't really do much more than give me a chuckle before i moved on uh like something happens and mr <laughs> something very big happens that and mr fantastic is like eh We'll, we'll probably be fine. No, you will not be fine unless Mr. Fantastic already has something in play. Anyway, you read the comic and we'll talk about it. Slot's story is bombastic and fun, and it feels like a classic comic book event from days of yore in the best way. Uh, art-wise, Carlos Pacheco does strong work for the first half of the issue. But then Carlos Magno takes over the story, and I am sorry. What? I just don't like it i don't know I'm what sorry. you want i'm sorry i do I just not don't. know what you want i think he is fantastic I, and i look i can see that he's talented and i recognize that but his style just isn't for me Ugh. and i think it's a bad fit for a cosmic epic like this it just does not look right to me oh, i don't care for it again talented and i get it and i see it i see you carlos i it's just it's not my cup of meat i'm I just sorry don't get you Reckoning War Alpha is the moment Dan Slott has been hinting at for a long time. And though I did have some issues with the art, as a reader that's been around long enough to see all of those hints as they happened, I had a blast with this issue. I'm giving this a buy it. I loved it. Yeah, this is like the long payoff that we didn't know we wanted for a very long time. Yeah. Until he teased us with it. And we went, wait a minute. I do remember something about that. <laughs> so, like, just just as a for example, there's a scene in this issue that calls back to a very specific scene in his run on She-Hulk from 15 years ago, the first ever mention of the Reckoning War. Yeah, and I was like, I just reread that run, and I was like, oh, well, this is it. This is the moment. This is the moment they were talking about. It's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, this is 
continuity wonks, go throw your money at this. This is so much fun. This is exactly what we love about Fantastic Four comics and what Dan Slott does. The dude pays attention yes. to his own continuity, and he's not afraid to reference stuff that you completely forgot about. But it's right there. He did his homework. This book looks fantastic. I'm and not, you're not, and you're and you're not punished for it. No, though, no, if no. You no. haven't been following along. You don't have to. It's still a great Fantastic Four story. You're still gonna have a good time. I totally disagree with you. I thought the art looked great all, That's fine. all throughout. I love Carlos Magno though. See his mm. recent Kang miniseries, which mm. just blew me away. It was so good. Love that. I guy. mean, I think the Kang. I think the Kang issue I read looked better than this. I do think he was trying to do something slightly different. Maybe. And I'm trying to get in his head here. I don't know. But maybe to get a little closer to what Pacheco was doing. Uh, no. I knew that's what you were going to say. No. Maybe. He didn't do anything to make it a little closer. And maybe Pacheco. I'm – but it it is a little different. I don't think it's bad, though. I think it looks good. I'm giving I, it some I didn't say it was bad. I said it's not for me. You said I it was bad. It. You hated him and you want to kick his kids. And I, I don't hate him. I, I don't want to kick his kids. Reprehensible. I think he's a talented artist. And I don't know. We don't even know if he has kids. So before you threaten him, do your homework. And from Aliens, we move to Gods with Land of the Living Gods, number one from Aftershock. It's $4.99. This is written by Isaac Mogajane with art and colors by Santos. Here is your solicit. The wrestler? That's Santo. That's Santo. El Santo, the same. Yeah, it's Spanish for the Santo. The Saint. It is said that when the world dies, the spirits of the first people will return to witness the last days of humanity. Well... Spirits have arrived, and the end is here, but not everyone has given up hope. Naledi, a teenage girl in the deserted city once called Johannesburg, has always believed that there's a land hidden away in a time where the gods still live. And where there are gods, there are miracles, perhaps even miracles that are big enough to save our dying planet. And so, after a lifetime of isolation, Naledi will head out in the unknown with little to hold on to but her faith and her magical pet plant, Buyo. A fairy tale for times in which we find ourselves brought to life by South African writer and producer Isaac Mogajane, who worked on something that I am not going to try to pronounce because mm, I will just mm, murder it. Matwetwe? <laughs> Doubt I'm saying that. Uh, yeah, Matwetwe. Mat, <laughs> and Brazilian artist Santos, who recently worked on Night Shift, Land of the Living Gods, will introduce you to a world of wonder and cruelty, beauty and perseverance, and will leave you profoundly changed. This is part two of our Afrofuturistic dystopian comics review. Yeah, this you know week. what? We work. We are friggin' <laughs> cultured as hell this week. Oh, you gotta love it though. I'll take as much of this as I can get. Once yeah. again, these creators are dropping the reader into a future Africa and letting their storytelling just do the work. Santos Art does a wonderful job illustrating the dry and dusty landscape that is the remnants of Johannesburg in the year 3119. His color palette. It's very limited, focusing on oranges, reds, and browns to really drive home the bleak desert look. But his art is really beautiful. There's a sketchy line to his pencils, but he's also very detailed. And it just gives his story a, the supernatural feel that it needs and works with this ghost story developing in the plot. Now, it's not like a haunted ghost story, but more the story of a land where dead ancestors are still looking over the living the main character, Naledi, seems to be a little more in tune to the spirit world, which may or may not be tied to the fact that she's an albino, but she also seems to start to question the ghosts around her a bit as the story unfolds. I, I really like what the creative team is setting up here, and they did a fantastic job fleshing out the world while introducing a very likable, sympathetic main character that's in way over her head. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Yeah. Okay. So this is the book I was talking about. I loved this one. I, I, I really did love this one. Um, and if I had to like compare the two and, and pick one, this was the one I preferred just because it's kind of an inverse of the other one, right? They're both future stories. They're both Afrocentric, but this one is more about like how uh, technology has collapsed. Yeah, right? it's more like Society a dead, has collapsed. Like technology has collapsed. It's a story. it's a post apocalypse, I guess. Yeah. You, you could call it. Um, yeah, like a dead Earth, right? And so this is more about surviving after things have gone way way wrong, instead of thriving um, after things went sort of wrong, but then kind of got better. And uh, 
I, I and they're both about you know like scrambling for resources and 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 legends and the whole deal. Um, but yeah, I thought that this one did a better job, uh, uh, an excellent job, uh, kind of setting up the premise where with this the the world itself and the spirits and the role of the main character and her, uh, you know, scavenging and uh, even the even the living plant though we don't really know much about the living plant. Uh, it, uh, I, I got a kick out of Boyo. It's magic. <laughs> it That's all we need to know. It's magic. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think, I feel like it was connected to the opening scene, but, you know, they'll get to that. And the art. Oh, the art in this one is spectacular. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Uh, and, like, look, I'm not saying, you know, buy one over the other. They're both buy it. Uh, but, like, this, for my, for my money, like, this one it checked off all the boxes for me. I'll give you this one is a little more personal, but I think I like the world that they're developing a little more in the other one. That's all like there's sure. No, I get you. Like, I mean, you've seen one, you've seen one dead earth story. You've seen them all. It's, it's, I'm not going to go that far. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm not saying they don't do, I'm not saying they don't do great things with the concept, but it is a familiar concept. Whereas the other one is a pretty unique concept where, um, you know, all of the, all of the traditional cultural hubs, vanished and now there are brand new cultural and technological and financial hubs in the world and, and it's all in Africa baby and so that's a totally unique idea uh and and I res- mad respect for that um but this one uh, this one just really clicked with me a little bit better his name Shazam All right now let's talk about the guy that broke the world Yeah baby from from gods to a guy that thinks he's a god it's Maestro World War M number one. Uh, you know what? I don't remember if Maestro is responsible for killing the world or not, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it's from Marvel he Comics. Didn't do it's written by good, certainly. <laughs> well, he certainly didn't help, right? Yeah. Uh, it's written by Peter David with art by Pasquale Ferry and German Peralta. It's four ninety nine. Here's your solicit. The final chapter of Peter David's Maestro trilogy begins. Aim, the Pantheon, and even Doctor Doom have all fallen before the might of the Maestro. Finally, he may now reign over his kingdom with a firm green fist. Except he didn't count on the abomination rising from the dead and forming an alliance with Namor and Doom. And this dangerous new alliance is ready for war. World War M! Uh, This might seem like an odd pick considering we've barely talked about Peter David's return to the world of the maestro, but considering the recent news about uh, original future imperfect artist George Perez, it seemed fitting. This is labeled as the final chapter of a trilogy, but aside from a couple of things here and there about past events, Peter David does an excellent job crafting an accessible tale for new readers. It's very similar to Dan Slott and The Reckoning War. Like These are writers that know how to use continuity to their advantage, and it is not a hindrance or a crutch. Yeah, without a doubt. And really, there aren't too many things better than David playing in the sandbox that he spent over a decade building. So, like, you can't go wrong. The Abomination and his unlikely allies are the focus here, and the introductory scene drawn by Pasquale Ferry is excellent. I really wish that guy would draw more comics because I love his work. But that isn't to say that the rest of the issue isn't gorgeous. German Peralta's work is brutally detailed, and the colors by Jesus Arbertov glow with gorgeous gamma green quad g baby the issue ends with a really touching tribute to perez written by david talking about the origin of their collaboration on the original maestro story it's just it tugs at the old heartstrings maestro world war m number one may be the start of the third act of a story that's been going for a while but i came in completely cold and had no problem following along and i really enjoyed the read giving this a buy it so I've been reading all these. I reviewed the first one on the show a while you, ago. I think we reviewed the very first yeah. one of the very first series. And loved it. They've all just been fantastic. And we're sure. talking about Peter David here. This is one of the greatest Hulk writers of all time. And he is untethered, allowed to have fun and do whatever he wants to with this character because it takes place in the far future. So go nuts. There is a fight scene here, and I'm not going to reveal who it's with. I know. It's so, so cool. Amazing. To look it's at. so great. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Uh, real quick about that, like there was a there was a twi- there was a twist in the book related to that, uh, related to the person that he's fighting that made me giggle. Did you catch that? I don't know. I'll cut this part. What? It- All right. Um, 
when Namor calls, uh, or there's a conversation between Namor and the guy that works for Dr. Doom. Okay. Doom's vizier or advisor or whatever, the guy we see earlier on. Right. He's Namor calls him. We didn't know uh, he was until just now. And so, like, he's secretly been working with Doom, but he's actually the partner of. Right, right, right. Okay. Loved it. I loved it. This is just a blast to read. I love the Maestro. He's one of my favorite Hulk personas. If yeah, you don't cool. know about uh, the Maestro, I will drop a link in our required reading so you can go back and check it out. You should read Future Imperfect. That's awesome. It's, it's <laughs> so pretty good. Great. Huge buy it from me. Rounding out our, my reviews, we end with the X-Men's dirty secret, Secret X-Men, number one from Marvel. It's three ninety nine. It's written by Teeny Howard with art by Francesco Mobili. Here's your solicit. Shh, it's the X-Men. When the Shire Empire faces an unexpected threat. You have to threat, shout it, though, because it's an all cap. I don't know how to shout. Shh, it's the X-Men! <laughs> yeah. When the Shire Empire faces an unexpected threat, they must call upon the X-Men. Team co-captain Sunspot and Cannibal must lead Marrow, Tempo, Forge, Banshee, Strong Guy, Armor, and Boom Boom on a secret mission to save Empress Xandra. Wait, those aren't the X-Men. Aren't those the mutants who lost the election? Speaking of, in the wake of last year's X-Men election, Teeny Howard continues to push the big lie that Polaris didn't win, and now she's gone so far as to form a new X-Team out of not one, but all of the losers. Stop the steal, yeah. Teeny Howard. I went into this island of misfit X-Men story without much in the way of expectations. I will admit. I love Sunspot and Cannonball, and their best buddy relationship is wonderful. Mm -hmm. But I have also lost track of them in their New Mutants title, mainly because that book seems to have trouble focusing on characters that I care about. <laughs> so <laughs> mm -hmm. here, Howard puts them front and center as the de facto co-leaders of this makeshift team that no one on Krakoa demanded, and the setup is pretty fun. The story is still in space where Sam and Bobby have been since Sam married a member of the Shire Imperial Guard, so Howard can have some fun here without having to worry about Krakoan continuity, which honestly feels nice, and gives her some time to give voices to a team of nine ex-peeps we don't get to hear from very often. The only problem is, she kind of doesn't. Bobby and Sam are definitely the main characters, but they have their own new mutants title. The other members of this team... They have a few moments here and there, but we really don't get much from any of them. There was also some fast and loose use of powers. You can't <laughs> think about it too hard. Or you start to ask questions like, okay, I'll buy Marrow can make her bones into a spacesuit, but how is she breathing in there? And I know Cannonball Why doesn't it cover her whole body? Yeah. Also. I know Armor and Cannonball project force fields when they use their power, but how are they breathing in there? And how also, Cannibal's uh, powers rely on combustion. Right. How does that work in space? In space. And how does Banshee's power work in space where no one can hear you scream? <laughs> See what I did there? Mobili's art is solid. I like his redesign of the X-Space uniforms, but there was some kind of weird face work here and there. His style is different than any of the other X titles, and I like it, but there was also there was just a couple scenes that looked a little odd, and I don't know if it was the coloring that kind of made some characters look like they were floating a bit when they were supposed to be standing around. For a one-shot, the idea is fun at best, and it does a nice job tying up the story in 30 pages, I don't think we're going to be seeing a whole lot more of the Secret X-Men anytime soon. I'm giving this a skim. Yeah. You know, when you told me that it was a one shot, uh, I, th I assumed it was at a minimum a miniseries. We both did. I mean, like we reported and, on this and I don't recall ever in reporting yeah, talking about I, it. Marvel saying it's a one shot. It was complete. It was a complete surprise to me. And when I finished the issue and then we talked. I left. I, I felt myself thinking. Well, then, what was the point? Yeah. Like, why did I read that? Did it? Did it? And then I started going back and thinking about it. Like, did it forward any other stories in the X titles? Now, I don't read New Mutants, so maybe, but I don't know. Um, my guess is probably not. And I can't see him introducing a team of nine new people. Okay, we'll say seven, not counting Cannonball and you know Sunspot, to the New Mutants book, which is already. Full right. of characters. Yeah, like, yeah, right. Exactly. I'd argue too many characters. 
And yeah, and so uh, it, already I'm left thinking, well, okay, if this isn't going to be followed up on, then why did we bother? Yeah. Uh, and then I r- thought about how uh, Teeny Howard, who is a writer that I, I I usually enjoy, but to be perfectly fair, right now I'm having a hard time separating her from other writers at Marvel that I might not be, I might be mistaking her work for somebody else. But I, I, I feel like I, I, I'm pretty fond of Teeny Howard's work. But this issue left me cold because it was like all cutesy banter and then nothing is explained. Nothing is explained about any of the characters. Yeah. Um, you get you get a line about how uh, Sam is invulnerable when he's blasting. You get a line about how Bobby is crackling with solar energy. And then that's it. Like Marrow has bones. Okay, great. Her name is Marrow. We, we can make that leap on our own. Thank you. There's a the banshee. He screams. His power is is completely baffling in this in this comic. Yeah. Like Matt and I literally, like we literally went back and forth trying to no prize our way to an explanation that made sense, and we couldn't do. Could it. not get there. Uh, you know, we had a, a healthy debate about Forge that uh, you know we differ on, but like it's just, but nobody nobody got the time that they needed. Right. Other than it was the site, it was the Bobby and Sam show, you know, which I, which, hey, great. Just give me a Bobby and Sam comic then if that's what we're doing. Yeah, I don't disagree. And, and you know what? Just do that in New Mutants. Yeah. And so <laughs> now, uh, now we're left with this one shot featuring a team that does not get explained. And of course, I've been reading comics for 40 years. I know what these characters are and what they do. But when somebody who is reading the X Men for the first time because of Hickman, and uh, this is an X-Men book, not a New Mutants book. And they see Bobby shoot Guido with energy. And then they don't tell you why. Yeah. That is a problem. Yeah, it is. I know why. Right. But that is a problem. And uh, also, yeah, it's, it's just it's kind of a mess. Um, I thought that the I thought that the character work was OK as far as like when, you know, I, I thought the character was fun, let's say. Um, I thought the art was good. I didn't really have the same issues you did, but I, knowing it was a one shot, it was, it just really deflated any enthusiasm I had. I'm giving this a skim it just because I thought the art was good and I like reading about these characters, but it's a mess. It's a mess. And I don't know if it even matters. So Teeny Howard's been writing X Corp and Excalibur. Those have been her main. Oh, jobs. I did like I did like Exc- I do like Excalibur, or I did, I did at the time that I got behind during Ten of Swords. But I I was enjoying Excalibur, X Corp. Oh. I I haven't read. There is no way you would like it now. It is full on Otherworld Saturnine. <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah, but I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Uh, and like I said, I checked. I, like X of Swords was my like I I punched out of the cockpit <laughs> at the end of X of Swords, and I'm just slowly inching my way back into the books. But yeah, it, it's just, uh, yeah, no, no, thank you. Yeah. And it, I think the point you had about Guido, strong guy, you and I know who he is because we read X Factor back in the day when he, when he was introduced. Right. And, but like how many yes. people can pick that character out of a lineup of X-Men quite honestly, right. you know? And uh, I mean, and like, if we're really going to get nerdy about it, like Guido, Guido's power is to absorb kinetic energy, not like, yeah energy energy so bobby shooting him with an energy blast is probably gonna hurt right like yeah. so like even also when, even you're when in there space and there's no gravity so it's gonna knock you out <laughs> like you go flying away I, it's just yeah <laughs> it's the whole thing like i i it's just you know what the more you think about it the more it's it, a leave it i'm giving this a leave it I because it serves no purpose i think you're the, right the, the I, art is not look the art is nice props to mobility for that I like these characters. I like them a lot, but that's all it was, was an assemblage of characters yeah. for no reason. Yeah. It's silly at best. Right? So I, I think you're and right. And knowing we're not going to get more of it just makes it worthless. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's a leave it. I think I'm changing. Sorry. Too. I'm really sorry. Right. And I, hate I, to, I hate to be the guy that I does love it. I'm not normally that all guy. All of these characters except for Tempo and Meryl. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. On to something a little bit better. My final review is Black Cloak number one from 79 semifinalist on Substack. Yeah, that's right. It's Substack, baby. It's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Meredith McLaren. The price, it's free. It's cheap as free. Well, this issue's free. 
This issue is free, yes. Uh, here's a bit of a description that I pieced together. A classic hard-boiled detective story set in a futuristic fantasy world where the technology is magic-based and the world is full of fantasy characters that don't always get along and all have motives for moida. A black cloak is the name for a homicide detective in this neo-noir world populated with wild creatures who came together to vanquish a great evil a couple hundred years ago and are now struggling to get along in the last known city Kiros. It's sort of like uh, the two towers. If it was like, if it happened in the nineties, you know, and like, here we are today, the elves and the dwarves are, and the humans are also living together. They all friggin' hate each other. <laughs> Detective Essex is a hard nosed black cloak investigating homicides in the gritty streets of Kiros. But she wasn't expecting to find that the victim in her latest case is her childhood best friend, a member of the Kiros Royal family and the man that she was once betrothed to. Uh, arranged marriage, bad child. Scandal. I know. And how is this case connected to the bodies that washed up earlier on the shores of the lagoon? We'll find out. Thompson's story perfectly brings the high fantasy of elves and centaurs and magic and the gritty realism of crime and murder together. Essex is the cop that's too close to the case that we've seen so many times before. Her partner is a hard-ass fairy that's getting too old for this shit. <laughs> but rather than feel stale, the familiarity helps bridge the two genres in a way that really works. Because it's so wild, the concept of it, but then you have these touchstones that are like, oh, I get it. He's Murtog, right? Or yeah. whatever. I think hard-ass fairy is my favorite thing you've ever said on this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know some pretty hard-ass fairies. <laughs> Cut that out, please. Where are my, where are my hard-ass fairies at, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the art by Meredith McLaren is absolutely stunning. Uh, when J.D. Got a Catch shared this with us on Cover to Cover last week, I compared it to some of the minimalist iconography that David Aja used on Hawkeye. But now that I've read it, it also feels a lot like Chris Ware's Jimmy Corrigan work to me. It feels like the world is a collection of shapes and colors, Rather than something that was rendered as a single composition, I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, the explanation doesn't really do it justice. That's all I got. But it's just like, yeah, I can, it's I, like I hear you working and you're right. But I feel like anyone who's not seeing this is going to go, "What is he talking?" I know, about? right? But it's like it's like when you, it's like this is why we shouldn't be doing this on a podcast. This is a visual well, medium. Okay, goddamn so it! So it's like look, like look when you look. It's like when you look at a. It's like when you look at an impressionist drawing or an abstract drawing or a Rorschach test or whatever, you look at the shapes and you're like, oh, and then your brain fills it in. Like, that's kind of what this is. It's there. It's more detailed than that, but it's like, it's it, rather than being a collection of hard lines that looks like a drawing of a room, it is an assemblage of blocks of color and shapes. And it, it's just, it's really, yeah, really I, well I took done. it as kind of like a soft focus almost. And like, they want yeah, you, they want you to look at this thing, this person that's in the frame and yes, the other stuff right. is... It's there. And yeah, you can, the background. Right. Exactly. You yeah, can recognize right. it, but it's not as important as what's right here, you know? And part of that is helped by the soft uh, tones of, of the coloring, which are beautiful. Uh, Black Cloak, number one, was a real treat. I had no idea what to expect from a Substack comic. Uh, I mean, obviously, we knew, like, these are pros. We, we knew they weren't going to be churning out garbage. Sure, sure. But if this is an example of not only the quality of the work, but also the ease and variety of the distribution methods that it can offer. This platform may be worth a closer look for fans that are seeking to support creator-owned work from their favorite creators. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah. I really liked how it was presented. I really like how it looks. I don't know how much it costs to get this book monthly from Kelly. It's seven bucks a month to subscribe to the uh, Oh, seven bucks a month to get the tier that will get you all of the comics that okay. Kelly Thompson produces on her Substack. Okay. That doesn't seem bad to me. I spend seven bucks a month on much dumber crap than if that. If you buy so. just two single comics, that is seven dollars. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I think it Substack is very interesting, and I like the fact that you can just pick those creators that you're interested in follow. You don't have to follow them from book to book to book. So like, yeah. oh, I don't really care about you know uh, Blade, I, 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 but I do really like the person that's writing it. This is for people that want to follow writers. Uh, this book was excellent. And it's like, is it anything new? No, it's a genre mashup. It's cop, police procedural with fantasy beasts in a fantasy world. Love yeah. it. <laughs> it's just clever, you know? And that's yeah. what, like, Kelly Thompson yeah. writes really clever comic books. She's very good with dialogue. For some reason, 
I forget that these creators talk like normal people and probably cuss like sailors in their regular life. So when I started reading this and all of a sudden they're dropping like F bomb stuff, I was like, yeah, cause the, Kelly. the only Kelly, the only, the only Kelly Thompson books I think right. I've ever read are Marvel books. Right. For the most part. But no, this yeah. is, this is a, definitely a buy it for me. I'm very interested. I'm going to check out more of this Substack stuff. I'm doing it. I mean, I like, look, I, I have, I have no plans to subscribe to any Substacks. as far as this outing goes. Like to me, if this is what they do, so it probably came in an email, right? It's a newsletter. So it came in an email, but you can also view it on her website. Uh, if probably if you have access to it or, or she posted it on her website. And so you can either read it in your email. You can download a PDF. You can download a, a, a comic file, CBZ or CBR for a comic reader of your choice. Like, and that's all DRM free. So like you have all of these options through which to consume this product. And if you don't want to subscribe to the Substack, you can wait and it will probably come out in print from somewhere. Yeah. These are, I think they're coming to image. Not every, everybody's different. Right. right, uh, right. So like, but I don't, I haven't heard about Kelly Thompson's necessarily, but like, I, I, I know that there's already a deal in place for like Hickman's and, and, and Scott Snyder's and stuff. Right. Um, but it, it's just, it, it's, it's a lot, it's an impressive array of options, uh, and the power appears to be in the hands of the consumer and the creator and the creator, which yeah. is good, which is, which is good. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we can argue. It's a good thing. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and our Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. Also, we want to know what you thought about these comics, our reviews, or anything that you read this week on our live call-in show. It's THN, cover to cover. It's this Saturday on Facebook Live from 11 to noon Central Time. But before we slip out of our reviewer helmets, we've got to pick one of these comics to enter the THN permanent collection. Matt, which of these comics... What's your favorite? We gotta wear the helmets because we bang around a lot in this thing. Yeah, I mean we're losing, right? Yeah, we're we're no. running down. Well, we're bobsledding. We're bobsledding, bob right? My favorite was New Masters. I, I I loved the art. I loved the video game esque feel to it. And Shaw in the back matter reveals that he is a video game designer as well. Yeah, they both worked on video games. Yeah, I I, I really like this world they're developing, and I want to read more of this. I think this series is going to be super hot. I'm picking New Masters. Um, you know, yeah, call me basic, but I'm giving this to Fantastic Four Reckoning War because it's just so fun. Yeah. To see all of this stuff finally come to fruition. And like it like you if you look back, they started talking about just like leaving hidden technology laying around for people to find. And then you think back to that character in uh She-Hulk called Southpaw, who had a giant alien gauntlet on her left arm that did Green Lantern kind of stuff. And then there was another guy on the initiative who was the drill instructor who had the matching one on his right arm. Yeah. And you're like, this is all, this is all reckoning war shit right. that I've been reading about. And it's just, it tickled me. It tickled me to death. It's, I loved it. It's stupid clever. This week's comics are old news, Joe. I need something new to feed my ADD-addled nerd brain. What do you say? We retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum and mine the astral plane for the secrets of next week's comics to make our must-read picks for Wednesday, February 16th. I think you're just blaming it on the ADD. I think your brain is addled for other reasons. It's all kinds of reasons. It's, mainly it's bobsledding, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's bobsledding. <laughs> You got a traumatic, you got a TBI, a traumatic bobsled injury. Yeah. <laughs> My pick for next week is GI Joe. Traumatic bobsledding head injury. Oh, <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, GI Joe, Saturday morning adventures, number one of four from IDW. It's written by Eric Burnham with art by Dan Shoning. The price is $3.99. And here's your solicit. G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. Well, you know that story. But now, Cobra might have found their most versatile weapon yet. 
Can even G.I. Joe stop the Aladdin initiative? Find out in this special Saturday morning send up based on the classic 80s cartoon and brought to you by the superstar creative team of those two guys I mentioned and also Luis Antonio Delgado. Uh, they are the Ghostbusters creative team. Mm-hmm. Those, those names might sound familiar. They are the regular Ghostbusters creative team, and they are doing they are they are doing a comic book version of the GI Joe cartoon. Yeah, and I think it's so fun. And it I looks, can't wait to read it. It looks perfect. That's what these guys do, though. They like can pick an animated like style and go there it is and just nail it yeah <laughs> it's like, crazy the, like if you if you look at the cover you're like this could be a still from the cartoon yeah. for all i know my pick for next week is iron fist number one from marvel is 399 it's written by Alyssa wong with art by michael yig we'll say and cover art by jimmy chung here's your solicit who is the new iron fist after giving up his power to save the world danny believes he's seen the last of the Iron Fist, but when demons begin to attack cities around the world, a mysterious newcomer in a familiar mask appears, hands blazing with the chi of shallow and the undying, who is a new Iron Fist, and does his power come from the dragon of Kunlun or something far more sinister? Look, at this point, I just want to know who the hell it is. Swordmaster. <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> it's Swordmaster. I don't doing think a terrible job hiding it. I don't think it's Swordmaster. I it's think Swordmaster. Swordmaster's sword got broken the last time he showed up. It's Swordmaster. Man, I, I mean, well, I'm, and fine. If it is, whatever. That's fine. Because you know what I don't care about? Swordmaster. <laughs> so <laughs> if you can make me care about the character more, but make him Iron Fist. I don't care. Let's do it. I, like, yeah. I mean, and look, I'm not rooting for it to fail. I'm sure it'll be fine. But- I do not like by default. I do not care about any character that they introduced in a mobile game. Yeah, I, and then tried to shove into the Marvel universe. Yeah, I don't care. You're not going to get me that way. And, and like, like I, I, I see like, you working. I know. I, 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 no, I, I really do. And look, <laughs> and I, and I appreciate. I appreciate the effort to like increase the. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, AAPI Asian uh, um, Asian something Pacific Islander like presence in comics. Sure. Um, and like, yeah, great. Give me, give me that. Why are they all from the video game? Right. Why, got, why can we get this organically? Why is like got plenty of Asian White characters Fox and arrow and, and <laughs> yeah. the water one. And right. The sword. I don't give a shit. I don't the give Fox a shit. Girl with they, seven tails and stuff, you know? Yeah, on. no. I, <laughs> uh, and I want to, I want to care. Make him iron fist. I mean, you know what? I'll take a look. Interesting. I'll take a look. Yeah. Jimmy Woo's around. I want to see what that guy's doing. I love Jimmy I like Woo. Him. Amadeus I love Cho. Him. Love that character. Totally down. The THN trade of the week goes to Chronophage. It's a graphic novel from Humanoids. It's written by Tim Seeley with art by Elias Kriazis. Kriazis. Sure. Kriazis. Yeah. It's 1999. Here's your solicit. Maybe it's Kriazis. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> And if you put it I think you put those letters in the wrong order. Uh, a single mother becomes involved with a mysterious man who consumes moments of her life, leading her to question her choices and whether they can or should be undone. When Chloe begins a passionate relationship with a traveling businessman named Heath Doran, nothing good came from dating a guy named Heath. Her life immediately changes for the better and not just because she's getting laid. My father's name is Heath. It is not. It is. Friends <laughs> thought that. Don't let Steve Baum hear you say that. Friends thought the long. Friends thought long lost return and new opportunities suddenly present themselves out of nowhere. Soon, however, she begins experiencing horrific encounters with ghostly beings, eventually revealed to be the echoes of moments she has somehow no longer lived. <laughs> I know <laughs> what. <laughs> It's time travel, baby. Terrified at the realization that her past is being rewritten and that Heath is not who or even what he seems to be, Chloe must find a way to take back the seconds, minutes, and hours stolen by the alien chronophage masquerading as her new lover. But before she can act, Heath has one last surprise for her, a chance to undo the brief sexual encounter Ayo, that turned her into a single mother 16 years ago. Whoa, what a twist. <laughs> I know. Wow. Like, hey, hey, you want your life back, baby? How far back you want to go? You want to undo that kid you had? Uh, it features a Ford by Tom King. That's what all that's worth. That's all I'm buying it for. So, uh, you know, it's just, it, 
I, I, this sounds really interesting to me. Uh, it's just like this lady realizes her life has been totally like jacked up by a time traveling weirdo. And she has a chance or maybe not to like set it back the way it's supposed to be. But at what cost? Yeah. Uh, sounds fun. Look, Tim Seeley is one of those guys and he drives me nuts because I feel like I either love what Tim Seeley is writing or I hate what Tim what Tim Seeley is writing. You know what I mean? And he's, I'm 50-50 with the guy, but when he's on, he is on. And this sounds really cool. And I I don't know if it's just like the type of thing where it's like, he knows what he's doing. You know, because people love Hackslash. They love it. I don't care about it. It was not for me. Yeah, it's not. But he's writing that for those fans and they love it. And when he leaves there, he can turn around and do like a a Dick Grayson story that blows me out of the water. Like he also also did that book Revival with Mike Norton, that image that's so good. Excellent. But then, but then, yeah, like, like Hackslash is just like tits and tits and ass and like, why? Like, I guess there's a market for that. There's a place for that, but it's not what I want. I, I mean, some it's just not for us. I think it's he what knows, some guys want. Some knows the guy out play, there buying the Draculina crotch variant this week is the one that wants that. He knows how to play both sides of his fandom, and that's fine. Good for him. Yeah, more power to you. Like, look, no shame. Look, I get there's no shame in that game. It's like if sure, that's, if that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. But I'm just not interested. Yeah, I mean, this that's how Adam Sandler made all his money, right? Not being a smart guy. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. <laughs> You can find our picks of the week every Wednesday on the Twitters and the Faces Book too, where we want you to also let us know what you nerds are reading. We miss a ton of stuff every week. Tell us about it. Before we call it an episode, we wanted to give you a special sneak peek at this week's Patreon Extra, where the comic pushers are back to suggest some highly addictive Doctor Strange reads for a friend of the show, Sarah King. If you want to hear the whole thing, you can get access for supporting this show on Patreon for as low as $1 per month. Did you say as little? Like L-I-L? I, I said low, but Lil also oh. works. <laughs> I said as little. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Comic Pushers, where Joe and I hop into our hoopty, roll into the inner city, find some unsuspecting kids, and get them all messed up on highly addictive comic books to ruin their damn lives. Yeah, we got a hoopty. It's we got a, it's a THN mobile. It's a hoopty. It also bounces. It's got the hydraulics on it, so we can bounce. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like kids are into top. that shit. I know what they like. Yeah, it's like a drop top caddy. If you if you if you see us rolling in our drop top caddy, throw a peace sign and say, "Hey, pimp daddy." Wow. This time, a potential Marvel magic addict, Sarah King, hits us up asking for some Doc Strange reads. Take it away, Sarah. And lastly, uh, really enjoying the death of Doctor Strange. Um. Thought the tie-ins are so fun. Really liked the Black Knight X-Men tie-in like so much. And, uh, you know, Marvel's getting me to buy more, more character comics. And now I'm like really curious about getting more into Doctor Strange. So hell yeah. So Sarah has been a fan and uh, presumably because we liked it so much of the most recent death of Dr. Strange. And she's looking to read some more Dr. Strange stories. Joe Patrick, what can you offer? So I have two, I have one older, one newer and one honorable mention. The honorable mention will be quick. Um, But my first one, my older one is called Dr. Strange versus Dracula colon the Montesi formula. Yeah. This collects a storyline. It's it's collects a crossover between the Doctor Strange ongoing series of the time and Tomb of Dracula. I just recently reviewed another Doctor Strange Dracula crossover in our When Heroes Fight Monsters Cosmic Longbox. That's super and it was fun. Super fun. This is the story that ends with the uh the no more mutants style erasure of vampires from the Marvel universe for many years. Okay. Uh, that it's the Montezzi formula. Uh, so it, it collects a crossover between Dr. Strange and Tomb of Dracula, as well as a five issue arc of Dr. Strange solo book. And yeah, at the end of it, he like does the spell and all of the vampires just like poof cease to exist. And it's like, yeah, you did it. Dr. Strange. Congrats. You put blade out of a job, whatever. 
uh, of course, like the good one, like the good guys somehow still survive, like Hannibal King, who's a vampire, but he's good, and Blade, who's only half vampire, and Morbius, who's a living vampire. Like, it doesn't matter. Don't think about it. Um, but yeah, all of the other vampires in the Marvel Universe for a lot of years were just gone. Yeah. No more vampires. And uh, it was like a big deal back in the day. It's written by Roger Stern. It's got beautiful, beautiful art by Gene Colan, who drew both books. And uh, and then there is kind of a, a final issue written by uh, Steve Lealoa, uh, and it is so fun. It's a fun story. It is available digitally. Um, I'm, I'm sure it must be out of print, uh, but it is on Comixology. I'd be surprised uh, if it's out of print. Let, let, let's look real quick. I mean, I, there hasn't been a trade of it in a very long time, I don't think. But it, it on Amazon, it only shows the tra- oh, uh, the, yeah. the digital version. Mon- uh, Kindle and Comixology, twelve ninety nine. There you go. How do you spell Montesi? M O N T E S I Montesi. It is out of print. That's too bad. What I said. Yeah, that's too bad. That's an but excellent hey, pick. We can all read. We can all read digital comics. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. That's an excellent pick. I forgot about that one. I am going to go with a '90s Doctor Strange, and this was kind of when I really fell in love with Doctor Strange, and then went back and started reading old stuff at that point. I'm going with Doctor Strange, the Epic Collection. It's a book called Afterlife. This collects a ton of stuff from the '90s. Uh, Strange Tales, 1994, number one. Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, 76 through 90. There's an Ashcan edition in here if you care about that. And one of the best Doctor Strange stories of the 90s is a story called What Is It That Disturbs You, Stephen? It was my- Oh, I love that one by Neil Vokes, uh, drawn by Neil Vokes. No, it was Pete Craig Russell drew it. Oh, you're right. P. Craig Russell. Uh, and- yes, P. Craig Russell. Neil Vokes did a different Doctor yeah, Strange Yeah, Mark Andreco wrote it. it yes. It is that book is so good. Fantastic. And it is so creepy. So this is just a hodgepodge collection. Well, it's sort of, it of. is, but all these books sort of came out around the same time. And it is this very nineties yeah, doctor. Strange. I guess what is it that disturbs you? Stephen did come out in the late nineties. Yeah. And all of it was sort of exploring different aspects of Dr. Strange. That's kind of why I picked this because in the death of Dr. Strange, you have like, well, Spoiler alert, you have an older version of Doctor Strange that's investigating the murder of the present day Doctor Strange, which is so much fun. And in this, we had several different writers, Kurt Busiek, Warren Ellis, Mark Andreco. Excelsior! That is it for TGN 653. Next week, we'll be talking about classic comics. When the Cosmic Long Box returns, Joe Patrick, what theme has the Cosmic Long Box chosen for us this time? Our Cosmic Long Box theme for episode 654 will be Presidential Comics. Comic books starring presidents in honor of President's Day. Yeah. Now, it could be a real living president or a character that was elected president, you know? Sure. All kinds of stuff. Just gotta have dibs, on Le- Deb- dibs on Lex 2000, oh, baby. Just gotta have a president in there. That's all we have. Yeah. If you want to rap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show, Cover to Cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Time. It's hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget about our question of the week. It'll help get you started. Joe Patrick, what are we asking these nerds? This week's question was inspired by Lerb. What is your favorite unlikely or unrequited romance in comics? So now we're talking about characters. We're, we're talking about a pair of characters where one was in love with the other, but they never got together. Or comic book characters that got together, but it's like, those two? Yeah. Really? And it's and, inspired it totally by Valentine's Day, not love. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, inspired by love. It's the holiday of love. Uh, now, we do need your comic, uh, pardon me, we do need your question of the week suggestions. So please keep those coming. We appreciate it. If you want to play along with Cover to Cover Live, you can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, Shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline and you could be internet famous. Now, if you're going to send in a recorded message or leave a voicemail, please keep it to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with all of the live callers. I don't know if you guys listened to last week's cover to cover, but we had so many 
live callers yeah. that some of them had to leave before we got to them. <laughs> Sorry, Nate Aguilar. So we we may have to put like a five minute and just say like, look, man, you get it out. All right. We got people lining up. We, so. we just need a wrap up, like a wrap up sign like yeah. that. The Oscars. No, the music starts playing. If you're new yeah. to this show and you would rather scream into outer space than listen to any more, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. By the way, THN is a listener-supported podcast, and it would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our friend, local artist, and co-host of the Grawlix podcast. For those of you who don't know, a Grawlix is a series of symbols that replaces a curse word in comic books. So there you go. Huh? Not everybody knows this stuff. That's it. Exactly right. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron over at patreon.com backslash nerd, where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content like this week's comic pushers, for example, or you could just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you appreciate two nerds that work hard putting out this kind of low-quality comic book podcasting that would probably be done better on YouTube where you could actually see what we were talking about. We're just not talented enough to do that. No, I don't want to be a YouTuber. No, I don't either. I have no interest. No, I'm too old for that. I don't have a time to be a Twitch streamer. You got to do that like a lot, like the, eight the, hours a week. The, <laughs> the, the hustle, the hustle required to be a famous video influencer is beyond my level of care. And as far as I can tell, you need to be a misogynist, a QAnon fan, oh, yeah, uh, a racist, definitely yeah, a racist, of, yeah. and you should have yeah. guns in the picture too. <laughs> so. Right. I mean, or or like a very sexy girl, and we are only one of those things. Yeah. So you guys can decide which. There's guns all over my office. <laughs> I am I am a very sexy lady. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to John Williams, the composer of the soundtrack to our childhoods. Mr. Williams celebrated his 90th birthday yesterday, Tuesday, the 8th of February, and he is still going strong. Word to you, maestro, and thanks. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just out you as the guy that cries every time he hears the closing theme to E.T. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off.